What's up, everybody? This is John Neighbors, and this is the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. I am your host, and I am also the host of The Morning Rush, which you can listen to from 6 to 9 every morning, Monday through Friday, on hitthatline.com. Be sure to check it out, as I will have numerous guests, as well as former Razorback quarterback Tyler Wilson always joining me to break down all the games. It's a lot of excitement, but appreciate you listening in to the Locked On Razorbacks podcast today. It's going to be a fun one leading into the weekend and looking forward into next week, which, folks, it's game week. How excited are you? How excited can you possibly be? Next week, we are going to be able to sit down and look forward to Saturday and know that game one is upon us. It's an exciting time, not only for Razorback fans, but for college football fans in general. You finally get to see some sort of football. You finally get to see something that you can look at, that you can actually react to. No more speculation. No more listening to us media blowhards talking about who may do what or how or when or where or why. You get to see it for yourself. And there's going to be a few things that we're going to talk about in today's podcast, which we will be getting into what I'm personally going to be looking for in game one, things I'm going to be looking forward to, things that I may be expecting. And a lot of you have also given me your thoughts and opinions as well. We'll get into that. Also, does college football have a culture problem in general, stemming from the Urban Meyer situation at Ohio State? We'll be able to get into that and a lot more. We're also going to have a little fun, but I want to say thank you all so much for listening to the podcast and subscribing to the podcast already. Uh, I'm It's amazing how many listens that we've gotten in day one uh, from so many different people who were big fans of my podcast earlier and all the uh, kind words and support that all of you have given me. Thank you so much. It's really appreciated. So just continue to subscribe to the podcast, continue to listen in, share it to whoever you want and share it to. Tell everybody how great this podcast is because you know how great it is. It's amazing. It's the best podcast on the entire Locked On Network. It might be the best podcast in the entire state of Arkansas, maybe even the world. I don't want to get too big of a head, but either way, be sure to share that podcast and let everybody know about the Locked On Razorbacks podcast. So let's start with game one. Eastern Illinois. All right. What does that do for you? Probably nothing. It's an opponent with a name that you'll be playing that you should beat. That you're probably playing some good money to come into your stadium and play them. Should be an easy victory, right? Well, you certainly hope so. I'm not going to start saying of score predictions on what I think I'm going to see because we haven't seen anything yet. In fact, there's a scrimmage that's open up tomorrow to the media, but it's not really a scrimmage. It's called the Beanie Bowl. It's essentially a glorified walkthrough for what game day is going to be like for these players. So you won't be able to see anything from that. We've seen a lot of stretching. We've seen a lot of, uh, I guess, drills, basic drills and practices. But nothing of concrete evidence to show what this team's about. So it's a matter of what we're going to look forward to in game one. Here are just a few things. Number one, I want to see tempo. I want to see tempo. I want to see speed. I want to see guys flying down the field. I want to see the hurry up, no huddle, getting up to the line of scrimmage, running a total of six plays and 15 seconds. Obviously, that's nearly impossible, but you get my point. I want to see this team be polar opposite from what I've seen in the past two or three years. 
I no longer want slow, dragged up offense. I want fast, fun, electric offense. I no longer want to see a vanilla defense that rushes four guys and can't get to the quarterback. I want to see dialed up pressure, linebackers crashing in for blitzes. You have safeties in the backfield, hard hitting guys that they're up there. They're they're just knocking dudes bricks off. I want to see that from the defense. I don't want to see a team that just kind of mails it into the fourth quarter and their conditioning is no longer intact. I don't want to see that. I want to see blitzing all night and I don't I want them to step on the throat and finish them. That's what I want to see. But will I get it? <laughs> Probably not, but that's okay. I just want to know that there is going to be a major difference in this team, in this culture, and to what this team's been able to do. In game one, it's going to be a tough go. In fact, I would not be surprised if Arkansas struggled in the first game against Eastern Illinois. I don't think they'll lose. I mean, goodness gracious, could you imagine? I don't think they'll lose. But you may see them struggle to score in the beginning. Struggle to get the plays right. Struggle with the quarterback position of getting throws where they're supposed to be. You know, small stuff. Well, say small stuff. Fixable things. It's going to be a tough go, folks. In fact, if you look back to maybe what... I like to kind of compare this to what Petrino went through in his first year. But Petrino, he barely beat Western Illinois in that opening game. I think it was like 26-22, to 22, something, or 22-20. It was close. Then the next game, they needed a fourth down miracle play to freshman Chris Gregg in order to beat Louisiana Monroe. So I see something similar to that this season. I see a team that's obviously going in the right direction. I think that they're going to settle in and, and try to get some things going. But there may be some times where you, they overthink things where they don't hold their blocks as long. They have missed assignments. They feel lost out on the field. And that's not necessarily an awful thing. You don't want to see it, but it's expected, especially in game one. So for those of you who are going to be going into the game in Fayetteville, which the the stadium has now been fully renovated. It looks amazing. I I cannot wait just to see how it looks all fixed up. I'm sure it won't be completely 100% done. I'm not going to be in the uh, north end zone, but it's going to look great. So when people are driving up to the game and you're excited about the Chad Morris era of football, you're excited about the renovations, you're excited to see finally, finally, a team. That'll be different from what you've seen from the past few years. You're probably not going to get all the bells and glory in game one. You're not going to see a product on the field that's just going to blow you away and be like, yeah, yeah, that's what we're talking about. It's not going to be like Arkansas against Georgia in Bobby Petrino's first year in Fayetteville where Ryan Mallett was saying, hey, yeah, hold my beer and throwing three touchdowns in a single quarter, in the first quarter, mind you. You're not going to see that. Well, I think what you can see is you can at least see effort. You can see trying. You can see improvement. You can see finishing games. Those are the things that you just have to want to see. And I don't think it's too much to ask. And I think that's what you will see in game one. Offensively, depending on who the quarterback's going to be, I'm still thinking it's Ty's story. I think he's going to be the guy. At least to start in game one. Now, Cole Kelly, is he going to play? Of course he will. 
you may see something where Ty Story starts first series, Cole Kelly starts second series, or Ty Story starts the first half, or Cole Kelly starts the second half. Something like that. You'll see these two quarterbacks get in there and play a little bit. But, folks, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to throw in a third quarterback option there. Now, I don't have any evidence of this. It's not like I've had an inside source. Actually, you know what? I'm Screw it. I do have an inside source, and he's been telling me how great he's been playing. John Stephen Jones. That's right. Jerry Jones' grandson. We've heard the coaching staff speak highly, highly of these guys, of all the quarterback positions. But the ones that they have really hammered home is John Stephen Jones, the true freshman. He's not a big quarterback. He's not a five-star. In fact, he wasn't even that highly recruited coming out of high school. But when it comes to learning and knowing what's expected of him in this coaching staff, the type of offense that they run, he's got it. He knows the tempo. He knows the system. He knows the plays. He knows a lot of these things, and he's a gamer. And if any of you watched him in that Texas State Championship game, you can tell that the dude's the real deal Holyfield. Now, I'm not expecting him to be the, the next coming of Ryan Mallett or somebody like that for statistics go, especially in year one. But we'll be on the lookout to see him play some significant plays, especially in the first game. They may have certain packages for him. But from what I've been hearing, he's looked really good. Now, you may have three quarterbacks playing this as time will go on, as the season will go on. I think you'll see them finally settle into somebody being at the quarterback position. You're not going to have every game where they're going to be flipping it around. And if they do, oh, good grief, that's going to be a really long season if they have to keep trying to figure out the quarterback and you never know who's going to start in that next game. But I do really like, uh, from what I've been hearing about John Stephen Jones, so at the quarterback position, that's going to be something that people are going to wait and look forward to. But don't expect any type of five wide going out there and just slinging it all over the field. They'll start off getting them comfortable, throwing a quick out, some screen passes, try to get them into a rhythm, and then maybe take a couple shots downfield. Because if you look at it, Chad Morris's offense is essentially that. It's a two-back run-oriented system, but he always makes sure to mention that they take chances downfield. They will throw. They will try to keep everybody on their toes. When everybody's looking that they think that they're just going to keep run, 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 they'll mix it up a little bit, hold some blocks and fire a cannon in there and see what they can make it work. So I think that they may be able to take some chances. I just don't think that they're going to be successful about it. From the deep balls that I've seen from Cole Kelly and Ty Story, eh, oh, I mean, eh, they're all right. But I would trust him a lot more to keep it simple, to keep, be able to dump it off to the running backs, do quick outs, maybe some uh, some screen passes to wide receivers, running backs, and even tight end screens, you never know, uh, with this offense. But that's, that's kind of what I'm expecting to see out of him. I also expect to see pressure defense. I want to see pressure defense. My goodness. Listen, defense is, is something that really Arkansas has not had a great, unit in quite some time now people will point back to 2014 and say that defense was great which i agree that defense was really good but they also benefited a lot from not being able to go up against great offenses and great quarterback play people always point to that alabama game that they had in 2014 where they probably should have won yes i agree they probably should have won but the difference in that game is that you had philip sims that guy was not a great quarterback by any standard. He wasn't even a great quarterback by Alabama standards. So those are the types of reasons that they helped. But then they played quarterbacks like Dak Prescott, who's an elite quarterback that they really held in check very well. So they had instances where they were able to go up against some solid quarterbacks, but 
they benefited a lot from not having to do that. <laughs> so the reason that defense was so good, too, is what people forget. You had essentially three or four NFL caliber players on that team. Trey Flowers is a bona fide pro, maybe all pro type of player. Darius Phylon is a pro. Martrell Spate, pro. Even guys like Tevin Mitchell, he's, got, he's had some time in the NFL. You know, you throw him into the mix. So you had, a, you had a mixture of some guys that were young and youthful and athletic thrown in there with guys that were just beast and going to be beast in the NFL. That's where you benefited from. And I don't see that on this year's defense necessarily. I think you have good pieces. I think Sosa Game's really good. I think you got guys like Dre Greenlaw and Scooter Harris that have experience and have the build of what you want from an SEC linebacker that may be able to improve mightily. I think you got some guys in the secondary like a Ryan Pulley and a Santos Ramirez that has also shown flashes. So you just mix those guys into the defensive strategy that John Chavis wants to bring, which I think is going to be a good one in year one. Now, is it long-term going to be there? I don't know. But in, I think it's going to be good in year one because he has some pieces there. But I want to see him take chances. I want to see them blitzing, getting pressure on those quarterbacks. Because Arkansas, listen, they're not going to win a lot of games this year. They're not. And this is something that I always beg Brett Bielema to do, among, any, among a lot of things, in order to be successful. If you know that you're going up against teams that are 100% better than you across the board, mix it up and just try to throw something different at them. Try, on defense, throw some jailbreak blitzes at them. Do something. Because well, obviously just having four-man rush and then dropping back seven, if they're eating you alive on that, guess what? It's not going to work. And it's not going to continue to work. And then they're going to eat you alive. Be creative. Be innovative. Mix things up and add some pressure. I think John Chavis will be good for that. Do they have the elite talent that other defenses have had in John Chavis' career? Absolutely not. But what they do have is they have pieces. If you take those pieces that they have, put them in positions to be successful, mix them in a little bit with some depth, which I know they have, especially on the defensive line and the linebacking core, mix in some depth. There's no reason that Arkansas can't be a very good defense this season. But the difference is going to be the offense. Because as good as this defense may be, if the offense is continuing to go three and out within 15 seconds, your defense is going to wear down and you're going to run into some serious issues. That could lead to some serious problems for the defense. But I don't know if that'll be the case. It may be the case in some games, especially when this offense is going to have to go up against some of the better defenses in the SEC. Alabama, of course, and Auburn defense, which will be really good. Mississippi State's defense will be really good. So going up against those teams, you may see some struggles. But against a team like Ole Miss, I think it'll be great for them. Against a team like Vanderbilt, I think it'll be great for them. Missouri, even, I think it'll be great. I want to see what this team can do. And in the opening game one, show me some pressure. Show me that you can just tear down some defensive lines and make the quarterback think about it. Because even if you don't get to them, it may affect his psyche. It may affect his mentality. Start getting rid of the ball a little quicker. Start thinking about it a little more, which can lead to mistakes. You don't have to sack the quarterback every time, but at least make him think about it. At least make him think about that you're getting sacked. So those are the things that I want to see in game one. I want to see up-tempo, speed, getting up to the line, 
going crazy, making a fun, exciting offense start off game one and being successful at it. And I want to see a defense that can add pressure. Now, a lot of you are probably listening and say, well, duh, a Chad Morris is all about tempo, and he's been saying that. And Sean Chavis is all about pressure. He's been saying that. Of course they've been saying that. And of course that's what they're probably going to show. I just want to see it implemented. I want to see it where I can have, I know the blueprint, I want to see it being made. I want to see the progress in it. And just the sigh of relief that you get. Because so many times under Brett Bielma too, we were told about how good a unit was or how they were going to switch it up and how their defense was better suited for the 3-4, something like that. I'm, I don't know where that came from, but that's what they said. But when they implemented it, it didn't work or they regressed or they didn't show what they said that they were going to show or doing what they said that they were going to do. This staff, I want to see them implement what they say they're going to do. That's all I want to see. Just make it happen and put it into progress. If they can do those things, especially in game one, you'll have no complaints from me. Locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. All right, to go update everybody on a little bit of uh, news dealing with the coaches' all SEC team. Apparently, they released an all SEC team of three teams. I get why we have a first team. I even kind of understand why we have a second team. But a third team? You don't even get. The depth chart, the two deep, that has a third team on it. It's mainly just to make sure that all the schools are represented so that way they can tweet out from their Twitter accounts or from their Facebook pages or whatever and say, congratulations to so-and-so. You're the third string kicker on the third team of the all-SEC team by the coaches, which is actually their SIDs choosing it. Great. Fantastic, wonderful. So here I am, feeling obligated to tell you about the Razorback players that were listed on the all-SEC teams made by the coaches. No first-teamers for the Razorbacks. Shocked? I know I'm sure not. But you do have a second-teamer in Yelda Froholt. That's right. An offensive lineman on the second-team all-SEC team. And it's Yelda Froholt, who was the former defensive lineman turned offensive lineman. Yep, that's him. He actually graded out really well, according to most of the scouts and pro, excuse me, the pro accounts that people would always watch to see how offensive linemen graded out. And they've done actually a pretty good job. I thought it was maybe full of crap in the formula that they used, but they were always high on Ragnow and the way he graded out, even though the offensive line was bad. And it worked out for Ragnow, so why can't it work out for Yelda Froholt? I expect him to be able to be in the same situation. If he keeps grading out and keeps doing well and stays healthy, especially since it looks like he's going to be the starting center for the Razorbacks, then you may see some good things from him. But Arkansas, that was the only one they had on the second team. But if you move to the third team, which, again, I don't even know why we have, Brian Wallace, the offensive lineman, the right tackle, which is looking like the position he's going to be playing this year. Scuda Harris, Dijon Harris, which is going to be a linebacker. And Santos Ramirez, which is the safety cool um i I don't want to i'm not trying to make light of it i'm not trying to make fun of the players or anything like that because i know it's always cool whenever you can be put on a list of something like this my whole point is is when it comes on to the third team what does that mean when you're on the first team that means you are the best player at your position according to the coaches and i know these are just preseason polls so it doesn't really matter all that much anyways but when you have the preseason polls and you're on that first team that means you are the best at your position and then you move on to the second team. Now, that makes sense because, hey, you're honorable mention. 
And you can even find a way to be putting yourself in the first team. But you're honorable mention. You're right there. You're right there on the cusp. And there may have just been one player, one player that was better than you. But the third team? All right, well, you're not the first team. Or you're not the best player at your position. You're not even really the second best. Uh, so you're, you're, kind of, you're, you're third best. You're just third best. All right. So if you put all the numbers together, you essentially get roughly about, jeez, I don't know, over 70 players listed between the three teams. Does that even become an award anymore? I don't know. But I thought it was interesting to think about these th- these four players that were listed with Yelda Froholt being the second team All-SEC and then Brian Wallace, Scooter Harris, and Santos Ramirez being the All-SEC third team. First off, do any of these players make the first team by season's end? And second off, is there a player that's not being listed or is not listed that has an opportunity or a chance to break into an All-SEC team? I think there are a few options. I think Sosa Game is the first one that comes to mind on the defensive line. I think that he could have a big-time season in order to break through that list. Maybe a guy like Jonathan Nance at the wide receiver position, Cheyenne O'Grady at tight end. I even maybe look at one of the running backs, maybe Devois, depending on how they uh, use the carries and see if they can distinguish him between a bunch of other running backs, which are really talented. I could see one of them being being in there. Maybe Ryan Pulley. I mean, there's some other guys that are some other options that be able to be put in there. I just, I just don't know what. I just don't know why we have a third team. That's really the whole point of me bringing this up. Why is there a third team? It bothers me. Get away. Just deal away with that. I understand you want teams represented and all that. But the third team's lame. Don't have a third team. Keep it first and second teams and call it good. Although that does not annoy me as much as when in college basketball they have, oh, here's the all-SEC first and second team, but yet the teams have like eight players on them. It's supposed to be the starters, right? Because you don't have it that way in football. I know you have like two running backs in the cases, but it's because at that position you'll have two running backs rotating in and out or you at least have two positions there. But – Eight players on the first team for basketball? That doesn't make sense. But that's neither here nor there. You'll have to hear me rant about that um, once the uh, <laughs> once the basketball season comes to, uh, to fruition. But anyway, congratulations to the Razorback football players for being on a pretty meaningless all-SEC team. In the, but chosen by the coaches, which essentially means they were chosen by the SIDs. <laughs> Locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast. All right, and into the final segment of the podcast today. Again, appreciate everybody listening in. Uh, I mentioned a little bit about the Urban Meyer situation in last podcast, about uh, just the the three-game suspension, how big of a joke it is, uh, how just, you know, it's not surprising that that's the way that people are viewing Urban Meyer in Ohio State and how they should be looked at or should be approached and, yeah, you know, all of that situations, and I kind of went on a rant about it, and I'm going to take it one step further here in the final segment because something we talked about on my radio show, The Morning Rush, this morning was does college football in general have a culture problem? Does it have a culture problem? Because across the board, and we can even take for the past 10 years, we'll say past 10 years, and eh, make it a clean 15, make it a clean 15, past 15 years. You think about some of the scandals that have happened in college football that really have nothing to do with the game of football. 
I'm talking about off the field issues because listen, cheating, NCAA violations, like the thing that happened at Ole Miss past couple of years, that's not new. Nothing's changed there. It should, it's illegal and it's bad and should never happen. But pressures, competitiveness, people want to win. It happens. It's not acceptable, but it happens. But the stuff that's been happening off the field with a lot of these major football programs has been nothing short of disturbing. We all know with the Penn State's issues with Joe Paterno and, and that whole deal. We know about the issues with, of course, Ohio State that just happened. We know about the issues that Baylor had and, and with Art Bryles and the type of culture that they were creating down there. We know about the problems that a place like Rutgers have had with player treatment. Or in the Maryland case this year, where a player died, lost his life. And it looks like, well, of course, the investigation is still going on, but it looks like a lot of it had to do with the fact that the coaching staff and the conditioning staff did not take the proper protocol. And not only did not take the proper protocol, but didn't even like, completely ignored it, completely ignored anything was going on. So just disturbing stuff. And I could go on and on. There's a lot of examples I've missed. But it makes you think, is there a problem? Is there a culture problem in college football? I don't really know. If we can just sit there and say it's coincidental that most of these problems are with Big Ten football programs, I definitely think it's interesting how a lot of them have to do with that. But I think that, and there's not necessarily a culture problem, I just think in any big organization, an industry like what we see in college football, there's a lot of money, there's a lot of power. And with a lot of money and a lot of power, there's always great falls. God-like complexes from head coaches at major programs. Bobby Petrino was like that at Arkansas when he had that problem happen. Urban Meyer's like that at Ohio State. You get to such a point where you're treated like a god, so therefore you act like a god. And the fans are just as guilty as bringing them up, but not to say that they're to blame or anything like that, but that's just the way it is. They get a complex that they can't be touched, that they're invincible, that they are in control of everything, and no one should ever ever second guess any decision that they ever made and when you're constantly being told that and approached that way then you start acting like it it's the same way with somebody like michael jordan for instance everyone talks about how much of a jerk michael jordan is how arrogant he is he's just he's just an arrogant jerk well i'm sorry if i was told every day of my life by everybody that i was the greatest of all time in something and i had evidence to back it up I'd probably be a jerk too. I hope I'd be a good person, but I'd probably be a real cocky jerk. And it's the same way when it comes to football coaches. If you're told how amazing you are, you're told about how you're one of the best coaches in the country, you're told about how things are, you're untouchable, essentially, you're going to start to believe it. And you're going to start to think that nobody can touch you. And that's wrong, but that's reality. And that's the way it is in college football right now. I don't know of ways that can be changed. I know that it was an awesome thing that Chad Morris did at Arkansas where he brought in uh, Brenda Tracy. For those of you who don't know, Brenda Tracy is an advocate uh, against sexual assault, uh, especially when it comes to college campuses. She was, and, and this may be graphic, but this is what she talked about, and it was on ESPN. So you may want to check it out on ESPN.com when she spoke to the Razorback football team. She was gang raped by Baylor football players. And she has come out and she's been speaking about this and speaking out against, and I think it was a Great, great move by Chad Morris uh, to bring her in to be able to speak to the team about these things. Because I think those are the ways that you can 
start building up a better culture and be better people when you have something like that and impact you because even i'm not even on the team and it was when watching it it had an impact on me and i'm sure it would have an impact on you those are things you have to do but you just got to make sure that you're doing things the right way and it sounds simple and sounds juvenile to even say it that way but yeah that's all you got to do just don't lie don't cover up take your issues seriously i know that you have friends on the coaching staff people that are close to you but is it ever worth Doing, having that friend, keeping that friendship, but meaning you're doing the wrong thing about it. I, I don't, I don't buy that. I'll never buy that. But unfortunately, I don't think it'll ever change. There's got to be something done to these coaches and folks. A three-game suspension, that ain't enough. You got to do more. You got to do a better job, coaches. We got to do a better job as a society to do all these things and to try to overcome these things and be better human beings. Simple as that. Just do the right thing. Don't be an idiot. Don't lie. Don't cover up. And you know what? Your football program will be in great shape. Just don't do the wrong things. Is that too much to ask? Appreciate everybody listening into the podcast today. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, also on Megaphone. I'll be making sure to tweet out all of the links at my Twitter account, Rush John Neighbors. So be sure to follow me on Twitter that way. We're going to keep doing this Monday through Friday, having this podcast. So always appreciate everybody listening in. Be sure to share the podcast to whoever who would like to be interested in listening to this podcast, because again, it's going to be the best podcast in the world. And we're going to keep it going right here on the Locked On Razorbacks podcast of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am John Neighbors. Same podcast time, same podcast channel next Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. We will see you then. Locked on Razorbacks, your daily Arkansas Razorbacks podcast.